Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Good morning, Lewis. Morning, Daniel. How are you? Oh, it's so early in the morning for us. We don't ever do this at this time in the morning, but it's for a special occasion only. Yeah, um, it it was a, de- a debate that was worthy of this kind of early rise. <laughs> and let's quickly wrap up our Patreon supporters. Fiona Parminter, Phil Willis, Lizette Salkovich, uh, Xanthoria West uh, have all chipped in the Patreon this week. Also, a big special mention to Jason Smale, who's taken up our top-level Patreon subscription. Uh, he's paying 100 bucks a month for Irrational Fear, so thank you. He's one of the top Aussie tech guys in Silicon Valley. Uh, we travel once to a, a marathon in Bend in Oregon uh, to watch one of our friends do a marathon. Uh, so. I was waiting for the for the end of that. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You did a marathon? No, no, no. I, we, I went to watch. I went to watch someone do a marathon. <laughs> this means we're up to 91% of covering our costs for the podcast or pretty much what Trump has paid in taxes in 2017. <laughs> so jump onto patreon.com forward slash irrational fear to support the show. Another way to support irrational fear is to offset your carbon emissions from your car with Go Neutral for every $90 sticker Go Neutral will buy 3.5 tonnes of carbon offsets, which is about the yearly emissions for a car, and five bucks of that comes to us. To go neutral, click on the link in the show notes. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra Fair and Section 44. Irrational Fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, after 232 seasons, 2020 will be the final season of America. It'll be replaced with reruns of Germany before it got good. (laughs) And after the first presidential debate, the phrase, come to Australia, began trending on Twitter. Wait till Americans find out that we have three Guantanamo Bays. (laughs) And far-right extremist Proud Boys respond to Trump's request to stand back and stand by by stepping forward and standing on desks to shout, oh, captain, my captain. It's the 1st of October 2020 and America... It was fun while it lasted. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! This is Irrational Fear. Thank you for joining us. I'm former Kentucky Attorney General Dan Illich. Let's meet our fear mongers for this week. If the world's got you down, you can guarantee our first guest will get you down even further. He is one half of the American <laughs> history podcast, The Dollop. Dave Anthony. Uh, thank you. Dave, is there something you can is there something you can say to cheer up our listeners? No. Uh, there's actually nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, she's known for speaking dick jokes to power, but you can see her each week in her show, Newsbreak. You can hear her each week on her podcast, The Bituation Room, and you can smell her each week putting the bins out. It's Francesca Fiorentini. That is very true. Uh, Very true. I compost, but I don't actually have a compost, so I just put it in the trash. (laughs) And like someone who's just really trying to feel better about myself. You know, that's it. Just like, I'm going to almost... Almost help the world. Almost. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about. You're very much on brand. <laughs> and is a man unaccustomed to being up this early for work? It is uh, the host of Triple J Drive, Lewis Hobber. Yeah, I don't consider this work, Dan. This is fun. <laughs> Good. Yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't count as work until I start paying you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, rub it in. <laughs> uh, a little later on, we've got a very special interview with former White House press secretary turned anti-Trump fundraiser Anthony Scaramucci. Yes, the booch will be here. He will be joining us. Uh, but first, we've got a new sponsor. It's a bit of a live read, this one. Here we go. Get my live read music. Going to the post office can be hard. There's always long lines, white supremacists hanging out there to pre-screen your mail and throw milk on you. And even if you do manage to post your mail-in ballot, who knows how long it's going to take to get to the correct precinct for counting. And those election folks are always making mistakes, putting the wrong addresses on things. This election season, make your mail-in voting easy with Stamps.ru. Stamps.ru will send you out a book of stamps for free that look just like US postage and you can stick them all over your mail-in ballot. They'll even send you the latest updated address labels to make sure that your ballot gets to the right place so that you know your vote will be counted by someone with vodka on their breath. Head to Stamps.ru today to get a free trial from now until November. That's Stamps.ru. Use the offer code BIDENWINS to get a free ballot fax shredder. Who else gives you a fax shredder? It faxes your ballot to an international number beginning with plus seven, then shreds it. Mail-in voting has never been more secure with stamps.ru. Oh, well, I mean, they do pay us, so uh, it's great to have their money. (laughs) Okay, fearmongers, let's talk about the debate. There have been so many moments over the last four years when Donald Trump has almost risen to meet the demands of his office. Although I think we can all agree that during last night's presidential debate, Donald Trump finally became Fuhrer. I say debate, but it was so confusing. I thought I'd tuned into the two old guys from the Muppets breaking up. To be honest, when you think about what's going on in America and the world right now, they really should have conducted the debate over Zoom. That way... um, Not because of coronavirus or anything like that, but um, Chris Wallace would have had access to a mute button. But weirdly, different people took different things from the debate, like conservative coalition Trump supporters who, and this is true, complained that Biden didn't answer any questions. I mean, they're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong. Dave, let's start with you. How are you feeling about Biden? Should he have answered more questions? Oh, well, that's a tough one. Uh, there's a couple of things with Biden. First of all, it's hard to answer a question when a man just keeps jabbering at, at you constantly. Uh, <laughs> like there's no way to answer it. But also Biden needs a lot of time to ramp into his questions, uh-huh. make some mistakes, correct course, stutter, stumble, correct course. So he needs a really long, long runway. And then he gets to come up and then crash the plane and then take it off again. So uh, it's hard for him just in general. Uh, but but he he did. I would I would give him a two out of ten. <laughs> Fran, how did you mm. feel about the debates? Mm, mm, mm. Um, j- worse than I could have imagined, you know, and you don't like I'm sure the entire world wants to see someone fillet Donald Trump on the national 
international stage, but no one more than an American who has to live under this regime, let's call it what it is. So it's like, it's just the biggest, you get so sorry for, but you get so hard. Like You're just like, oh, you're so ready to go when you watch a debate. And then, you know, I wish there were performance enhancing drugs because Biden (laughs) could not bring it. He couldn't get it. I mean, look, he's in his, it happens. you know, in your 70s, I'm sure it's only natural. I'm not judging, <laughs> but it was it was really it's it's always hard to watch whether it's Clinton, who, you know, was respectable or Biden, who tried to level with people, but really couldn't. You know, as a comic, you're like, just get some zingers, just get a couple yeah. zingers, make fun of his seventy thousand uh, dollar expense on his hair. That's it. Yeah. he And, and also the ma- the makeup factor, the fact that they don't like, how could you how could you sit there and know he spends 70000 on his hair and not say, what are you paying for your makeup? Five dollars? Like, just hit the guy. It's so easy. It's so easy. He is a walking, talking thing to mock. It, mm-hmm. it would just be nonstop with anybody who, who just had their mental uh, mental acuteness together. Such a tough uh, ask. I, I have no idea how you would prepare to debate Donald Trump because you can go low. But it, it, you do once you get down to that sort of street fight. He's so much better. Like there's no one better at kicking people in the balls on the street than he is. You do have right. to try to like be there, but just like he makes you fight your fight. It is. It's like playing um, like kids' sport, like under twelve soccer or something. Sometimes a really shit team will beat a really good team just because the complete lack of organization throws a good team off their game. Yeah. I- I, I, I would just say, though, that there is a there is a uh, a kind of comedian and David Letterman is that type of comedian who in his autobiography described how they were the funny kids and he was the guy who made fun of the funny kids. Mm. So you need that type of person who knows how to undermine everything he says and just keep making fun of what he is and what he's doing, highlight what he's doing and and make it seem really stupid as opposed to just those direct hits you take what he's saying and you throw it back at him what's dave up to is he free <laughs> <laughs> I know. how's his now, beard coming yeah now a man who needs no introduction be the president dave letterman great what we need is another white 70 year old guy <laughs> <laughs> if you get Al enough Franklin of them be- together <laughs> maybe they can do this job they'll form some sort of voltron with erectile dysfunction <laughs> <laughs> I think Al Franken would have been the perfect sort of human being to run against him if he wasn't uh, Lech. You know, that's a drawback. Yeah. He, like that type of that type of guy. It didn't stop Trump, did it? <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. I mean, it's hard. It's kind of Trumpian logic to kind of say someone will do it better. But I, it, during the entire debate, I just couldn't help but think, what if Warren was up there? I really felt like she would mm-hmm. have been an incredible attack dog and would have yeah. been on the front foot and would have outsmarted him and outpaced him every yeah. step of the way. Yeah, I think Bernie Sanders, same thing, but more on policy, which is not really what you need. You really do need sort of style and you need to shut him up. And I definitely think, you know, Warren in her attack, even on Bernie, you know, like which came out of left field, yeah. very Daenerys Targaryen, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, good, fine. Like she could have definitely handled that. The one thing that it said about Biden, God, if there is a silver lining, it's that he actually does listen. Like 
One, yeah. he's, uh, he, he, you know, cognitively, he might be, you know, slightly a little bit less sharp than sh- he should be, but his hearing's great. And if that's any sign for how he might govern, hey, that's pretty good if we can ever get over <laughs> to the other side, you know? Like, he hears things. He hears people. He, he can listen. And he had to do all that hearing through the earpieces that he put in. So that's really impressive. <laughs> it's such a sad thing. You're, you're saying it's good that he can hear. It's good. <laughs> You're basically, it's good he can hear. It's the equivalent of kind of going like he's just recovering from a fall. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a moment for either of you that really made the moment of the debate? Uh, well, you know, I'm a big climate change guy. So watching them mm. talk about climate change really made my head just kind of snap and explode. And I wanted to really jump into the TV and first slap Trump and then slap Biden. Like it was really just a. They both weren't very good on that at all. Like, um, I, it, you know, it goes no. both ways there. Biden in the same paragraph said, oh, well, the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal will pay for itself. And then he backed it up saying, oh, I don't back the Green New Deal at all. He got, he got really <laughs> flustered. He was like selling something and then immediately discounting it in the same breath. It was pretty astounding. Emily Atkin from the heated newsletter wrote, the climate change section was the only section that Trump didn't interrupt because he did know what to say because he doesn't know shit. Another thing I articulated that more when they started talking about fuel economy standards as a way to make the environment better. And upon that question, Biden said, why have you relaxed fuel economy standards that are going to create more pollution from cars and trucks? And then Trump went on this one minute rant. He said, well, I've got it in front of me. I'm just going to read it out plainly. Well, 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 not really, because what's happening is the car is much less expensive and it's much safer car and you talk it about a tiny difference and then what would happen because of the cost of the car, you would have at least doubled and tripled the number of cars purchased. We have the old slugs out there that are 10, 12 years old. If you did that, the car would be safer. It would be much cheaper by $3,500. Nothing about climate change or emissions. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a full no. sentence? I feel like there wasn't even a full sentence in there. <laughs> he, he, but let me just say, though, that he this is truly the logic they're trying to spin. Not The Trump administration has rolled back 100 environmental regulations. They want us to die as quickly as possible. Uh, they want to burn the planet as quickly as possible. But I will say, buried in one of their like transit authority uh, sort of summaries on why they were rolling back the emissions, they said, oh. it's too late. Like, that's almost a quote. Essentially, oh, oh. why? <laughs> we're making all this money and the planet's going to hell anyway. So it was like, right. he knows. And and that was the other thing is Biden not being able to come back and being like, you think this guy gives a shit whether you live or die? Like you want this, this man who laughed in the face of the wildfire sufferers so of, in I California. Mean, also Trump talking yeah. about how people in Europe live in forest houses. That was pretty exciting. Um, there was so many for moments. For a city. For, for a, a city. city. <laughs> yeah. It was like everyone in, everyone in Europe lives in fucking Fern Gully. That's what, that's all I took away from that. <laughs> yeah, I, when I heard Forest watched- City, I was like, where's Forest City? I want yeah, to go to Forest yeah. City. He's just watched Avatar. He's like, they're all blue. <laughs> and one of the things that often comes up after debates Honestly. like this is people on, well, journalists mainly on Twitter go, well, the only winner of tonight's debate are comedians. Dave, are comedians the winners of, oh. of moments like this in American politics? <laughs> No, no. What the fuck? Listen, the reason that they say that is because of Jay Leno. 
Jay Leno, he, it, everything, everything went to just being dumb. And he just and he had the dancing Edo judges when when uh, O.J. Simpson was on trial. It was like there was no morality. He just did whatever it took to get a laugh. And so since then, everyone's been like, the comedian's going to love this. No, the comedians <laughs> actually have like morals and understanding. And so they get actually comedians are actually generally terrified of fascism where other comedians support it. But most of us, we're pretty as a group against fascism. So we're not actually really thrilled about a debate in which a guy just flat out comes out as a fascist. Not not great. Not a huge fan. Yeah. He's so hack. I mean, this is the thing. This is I, <laughs> Trump is yeah. hack himself. He's a bad, <laughs> drunk, open mic comic doing racist, sexist material that only gets a laugh because people are astounded he's even doing it. So that's like the laugh is like the asshole laugh. And I'm tired. It's so boring. You can feel an audience <laughs> sigh when you start to bring up the president because you're like... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can feel it in the room because nobody wants to be reminded. The guy is his own satire. So why, yeah. you know, you're like, hey, did you hear the one about, uh, you know, the uh, the people who believe that there is a mysterious figure named Q shrouded in darkness <laughs> that runs a sex cult underground that is trying to t- topple Donald Trump? We're like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, this is what we're living and breathing. Lives. Like, that's, 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 that's right there. <laughs> we came here for fun. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's his genius, though. And I know this is not like a new point, but that that is the hard thing that to get over and get around, which is how to deal with someone who it is boring to bring up his constant failure. Yeah, totally. And it's also uh, difficult to be a comedian against someone who is genuinely quite funny. Like he is, he makes, trying to hit funny with funny is so difficult with someone that's already undercutting the office themselves. It's so, it's so strange. And it's just very hard to be like, that guy's a white supremacist when he's like, yes, I'm a white supremacist. (laughs) When there's no shame, (laughs) you need shame. If like, this is, without shame, there's nothing to stick to. It's just the throwing shit at a shame Teflon pan. But I still want to scrape the bottom of that pan though. Like I think there's more to go. And I, I look, I want him out in November or excuse me, by the end of, you know, he won't leave, but you know what I'm saying? I, in an ideal world by uh, January. In an ideal world after a long protracted civil war, sometime 2023, you know, it'd be great. You know, you know when the ashes have stopped yeah. smoldering, you know, I'd like to be able, but I, before he goes, I really do want to see what else he'll do for by being baited into it. He, he drank water on camera because people baited him into it because they said he couldn't. I think oh, yeah. he wears adult diapers, and I want to bait him <laughs> into, into showing the undies. <laughs> like, will yeah. he and won't his audience and his base just cheer in elation when they see the jockey and, the, you know, like the scene in 16 yeah. Candles or whatever where they're holding up the underwear? One of That's what movies. I was saying yesterday is when they were coming out and saying Biden is wearing an earpiece. Biden should have said, you can inspect me for an earpiece if we can expect inspect Donald for diapers and then just left exactly. it. And that would be the whole conversation and it would end. Irrational fear. Europe, they live their forest cities. They're called forest cities. They maintain their forest. They manage their forest. It's a forest city. Your fear is rational.
Our interview guest on this week's podcast shot to fame for 11 days when he was White House press secretary before being unceremoniously fired by Trump, making him one of the most memorable ex-cast members from The Apprentice West Wing edition ever. By day, he manages $9 billion funds. By night, he is raising money for the Lincoln Project, an anti-Trump political action committee that's run by Republicans. Welcome to Irrational Fear, Anthony Scaramucci. It's good to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, it's great. You know, you've, we've got Francesca Fiorentini and we've got Dave Anthony and Lewis Hopper here too. Hey guys. Um, before we go, what's, what's the most appropriate way to address you? Is it Anthony, Mr. Scaramucci, the Mooch? Well, all, all three of those names are better than some of the other names that have been used, so you can go with any of those names. It's totally fine, yeah. <laughs> what's your whatever, least whatever favorite? <laughs> oh, this is a typical Aussie question, right? So I have to use psyops on you now and say Scaramucci. You, know? you, can, call me, you can call me Anthony. You can call me anything you want. It's all good. It's I just think good. it's that, ironic like that southern, that's like you know <laughs> you're southern southern Italians and southern Australians are very similar. So I, I, I'm pick, I'm picking it up. <laughs> yeah, both are riddled with coronavirus. I, I think it's funny, Anthony. You're on a podcast with someone who's got more of an Italian name than you do. Francesca Fiorentini. So you have, have, I noticed that right away, Francesca, you even have more syllables than me because I have a little bit of syllable envy right now. So that's okay. More Italian. Let's talk a little bit about the Lincoln project, Mooch. How does someone who worked at the white house end up campaigning against the man in the white house? Well, you know, I wrote a lot about it uh, back in 2019, but the, the short answer is I've changed a lot. I think the at the end of the day, uh, one of my liberal critics, I think it was on television, they said, well, you know, he was talking about Mexicans and rapists in 2015. And so in 2019, you disavowed your support. Nothing about him changed. And my response was, well, maybe he didn't change, but I have changed. Uh, I've become more psychologically minded. I've become more aware of the tribulations and the stress that he's putting on other people. Uh, I've become uh, more aware that the ends, uh, uh, frankly, do not justify the means, this whole moral equivocation about policy and cognitive dissonance. And so the, you know, the, the answer to the question is it got to a point where it became impossible to support him anymore and maintain your uh, in personal integrity. But you didn't know that when you went into the White House? <laughs> That's a big question. No, no, see, Come on, man. No, see, but no, you're, you're asking the same question that my liberal friend asked. And so this is the big vexing dilemma. 63 million people did vote for him. So I think you have to pay close attention to why, because everybody has a different reason for voting for him. So my reasons were I was a lifelong Republican. I was working for Jeb Bush. He mm. dropped out of the race. There were two people running. It was uh, Secretary Clinton or or, or then Donald Trump. Uh-huh. And I made the mistake of going with Donald Trump because I was overlooking. And again, I don't justify this. Only thing I can do is apologize for it. I made the mistake hmm. of overlooking some of his moral shortcomings and some of his verbal rhetoric uh, because I thought it was the better of two choices. And so I have to own that mistake. You know, I'm not one of these guys that's going to sit here and try to defend it. All I can do is apologize for it. And so when you say that I didn't know that, the answer is yes, I did know that, but you're down to two choices. Imagine all of us are on the publicly traded board of a company and you're hiring two people and the philosophical things that you've been with your whole career, I'm a lifelong Republican. My first vote was for Ronald Reagan in 1984. And so I went with the Republican. That's where you went wrong. And and that was a mistake. (laughs) 
<laughs> What's that? I said, that's where you went wrong in the first place. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, you know, there's a lot wrong with the Republican Party. There's no, there's no question about that. I think that the Republican Party now, whatever you thought of it under Ronald Reagan, it is a very lost party uh, under Donald Trump. It's become a full-blown personality cult. As an example of that is we, we don't even have a party platform in the Republican Party. You can't even... I can't even tell you what it stands for anymore because the party platform is whatever Mr. Trump wants. That's our party platform. So sure, and, and Vladimir we've really lost their way. And if you if you love the United States, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you do love the United States, I can tell you we're we're our most successful when we have two very strong parties that are vigorously but civilly debating with each other and advancing the ball for progress, both for the global community and for the citizens of the United States. And we're not doing that right now. So now you're fundraising for the Lincoln Project. How is that process going and how are the Lincoln Project going in general? What's their plan heading into the next um, five weeks? Well, I was on last night. We did live streaming before the debate. We raised a ton of money last night. Uh, We've been doing a lot of Zoom calls and uh, gatherings remotely, uh, and it's been very successful. They've raised tens of millions of dollars and their plan basically is to eviscerate this son of a bitch. And over the next five weeks, they're going to do that. And if you look at the if you look at the uh, ads that came out after the debate last night, I think these are very successful ads. But I would say to my fe- friends that are Democrats, you guys got to knuckle up. You got to hard knuckle up. And you have to understand the adversary better. You know, the vice president did a good job last night. Uh, but, you know, as I said to some members of his campaign, he, he needed an extra slice of pizza and a little bit of a spray tan or uh, <laughs> sit in the hot sun a little bit. You know, he 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 needs to look more vigorous in debate number two. Uh, that's that's a, that's a very uh, Italian New York thing to say. Get a spray tan. Something. He needed something last <laughs> night because he, he looked too pale. I'm just telling you the truth. He looked too pale and he looks like he's lost too much weight. Uh, you know, and, you know, Francesca has probably the same mom as me. My mom has like optical nerve damage. She thinks everybody's thin. You know, you could show up 200 pounds overweight. She's like, have a cannoli, you know, but but in, in the vice president's case, he needs to be optically way more vigorous than he was last night. Uh, you know, and the good news is, you know, Donald Trump showed up. The first thing I thought of when Trump showed up, he looked like the 1981 orange Corvette that I was trying to buy in high school where unfortunately I couldn't come up with enough money to buy it. Uh, that was the first thing I looked at. I mean, he, he literally had almost like an auto spray paint uh, on his face. So he was optically also very disturbing. What's the breakdown of, of how much money from the Lincoln Project is actually going to ads and stuff? Because there's a lot of people online that say that uh, you guys are just sucking in the cash. Yeah. Well, you'd have to ask the guys. Remember, I'm not on the masthead of the Lincoln Project. I am raising money for them, and I'm involved in a lot of the TV streaming, but I have have not taken a salary from the Lincoln Project, and I am not technically an affiliate. So meaning when you file for a PAC in the United States, I'm not one of the named people on the PAC, but I am somebody that's supporting them and fundraising for them. Um, That breakdown you'd have to get from them. I honestly don't care. Uh, whatever they're paying themselves, I think they're totally worth it. They have had the hardest knuckle ads uh, in this election cycle, and they're having an impact on Trump because I understand the president's personality. Once you're inside his melon, uh, you can get him to do a lot of things uh, that are mistakes for him and a lot of unforced errors. And I think the Lincoln Project has been very successful about that. But because I'm not an officer at the Lincoln Project, I don't know the answer of what those percentages are. 
I like the idea there's a boardroom somewhere with a whiteboard with a picture of a melon on it. So how can we get into the melon? <laughs> um, like, so again, well, I, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you an axiom that is totally true because he lives in a reality distortion field. If you can get on the Fox news channel and you can speak with great truth and great clarity to his base, it sends him into orbit. Literally he's the atomic bomb emoji coming out of somebody's head and then he'll start coming after you. He'll start tweeting about you. I mean, he's still, you know, he's still attached to me. He'll, the last time he tweeted at me, I was on the Fox News Channel explaining the destruction that he's caused to the U.S. economy, the destruction that he's caused to our healthcare system, and how he's made us weaker uh, as a country as it relates to our global alliances. And so he went berserk and then started tweeting at me, which, you know, listen, I'm totally capable of handling. You know, these, these Republican senators... I pray for these guys because they're very, very weak people. I mean, they're they're intimidated by somebody that won the vote by 78,000 votes in three states. Mm. He's got them believing that he's Ronald Reagan from 1984, mm. uh, and they don't want to be tweeted at. And it's sort of, uh, you know, it's a profile in cowardice as opposed to what Kennedy was talking about, a profile in courage. Mr. Scaramucci, I just have a question for you. Look, I, I get you're uh, an anti-Trump Republican. But arguably, he's getting the Republican agenda done. He's about to confirm an anti-choice, anti-immigrant, anti-ACA Supreme Court justice, the third in his tenure. What happens if he gets reelected? Ultimately, isn't the Lincoln Project just kind of down with that agenda? They just don't like who the, the, the front man is. But really, if he gets reelected, you guys are probably going to go along with it because you're getting your way anyway. So where's the moral in that, well, I guess, is what I, I'm wondering. I don't, I, 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 I don't see it that way. And I, and I know that that's a hardcore liberal and, you know, forgive me for saying it this way, a little bit of a cynical perspective. I don't see it that way. The, the conservative agenda, uh, uh, that's the radical conservative agenda that you just described. That's not my agenda. If you've read stuff that I have written, uh, I worked with the Republicans in New York to equalize marriage in the state of New York. And then I worked with Rob Reiner and Chad Griffin on the Prop 8 project to nationalize the marriage equality movement. And so that's a libertarian perspective where somebody that's conservative, and I joke with some of these evangelicals, you guys want a smaller government everywhere, but in my bedroom, uh, you want a larger government in my bedroom. Moreover, the Republican Party under Trump is not classically conservative. It is a socially conservative party, which I disagree with, by the way, because that's anti-libertarianism. It's a socially conservative party, but it's a quite fiscally liberal party. They want a deficit spend into the stratosphere, mm -hmm. and they want to give corporations these gigantic uh, givebacks and these gigantic checks. And so for me, that's not classic conservatism. Conservatism for me is to create a platform of equal opportunity for people. I don't believe in socialism. I don't want outcomes capped, but I certainly want people that were born uh, through no fault of their own in inner cities or in poor areas of the country to have a platform of equal opportunity. So when you really study libertarianism and conservatism, uh, there should be a packages of services for people that come from the government, uh, including universal health care, including universal base income. Those things are quite libertarian if you really understand them. I would encourage you to look at something that Andrew Yang has written about them because, you, you know, I didn't pick my upbringing. Uh, my parents were blue collar. They were uneducated. 
but they hustled and they worked very, very hard to put us in the middle class. And my dad had this aspirational idea about his blue collar life. He thought one of his kids would live the arc of the American dream. If you go back into the area I grew up in, those families have converted from economically aspirational to economically desperational. So, so true conservatives would look at that situation and say, okay, how can we fix that situation? What type of policies, what type of infrastructure, what type of jobs training do we need to create a platform of equal opportunity? Okay, once you've got that equal opportunity, then where you go with it is, is, is up to you. It shouldn't be capped on that on the upside. So yes, I hear you. That is a radical view. If the president wins, he will destroy our democracy. And so I don't accept the fact, and nor do my friends at the Lincoln Project accept the fact that, oh, we're just going to enjoy the fact that he's president and we like this Supreme Court pick. That Supreme Court pick will likely destabilize the social contract that we are in in America right now. And 75% of the people in America do not want Roe v. Wade overturned. They don't want marriage equality overturned. And this is a fringe thing for our society. And I think it's very, very dangerous. So I, I see the Republican Party as a dinosaur uh, that's about to go extinct if they reelect President Trump. You will be with an aging group of people that are buying my pillows and catheters in between Fox <laughs> News ads. That's what you're going to be left with. I would like those that are good catheters. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I mean, good I left American that night. the seat backs too. I left that the thing you put on your face when you have to like sleep apnea. <laughs> but my my point is, I want that party to expand, and I want that party to expand demographically, and I want that party to expand with the beautiful mosaic of colors of the United States, and I want people to think about conservatism differently than the way Trump is describing it. But that is a cynical view of conservatism. And there's a lot of people in that party that hold that view. And I reject that view. It'd be really interesting to see how you might support universal health care once Biden wins the election, Anthony Scaramucci. What do you mean? I Well, remember, the, the vice president is a very smart guy. He's calling for the maintenance of private insurance and he's calling for the expansion of Obamacare. And if you remember, I supported Governor Mitt Romney in 2012. And when he was governor of the state of Massachusetts, he developed something that was called Romney Care, yeah. right. uh, which ultimately evolved into Obamacare. Now, we can disagree with elements of Obamacare, but I'll tell you guys something. Uh, the medicine in the United States got socialized in 1986 by Ronald Reagan. And how did that happen? He signed an obscure piece of legislation in 1986 that forced every emergency room doctor in every hospital in the country that if you walked in and you were sick and you came into the emergency room, they had a moral and legal obligation to take care of you. And so, you know, we, we've had it. We've had this med medical nationalization, if you will. We have to come up with a more propitious way to allocate the capital and make it more efficient. Uh, but we've got to get oh, over. We can't be the last nation, <laughs> Western industrialized nation, that doesn't have that health care. So okay. we should, I think the answer, if I'm understanding you correctly, is to tax billionaires at like 90%, like we did back in the 40s. Well, you got to be careful. Uh, I, again, I have no problem paying taxes, <laughs> but I think you got you have to be careful because my money is not in a swimming pool in my backyard in $100 bills. My money is spread out into a lots of companies that are creating a lot of jobs. And so what happens is when you tax somebody at 90%, they start to curb their behavior 
uh, and they start to do things like move their money around to avoid those taxes. And so you want to make sure that you're hitting the intersection of the tax code where you're incentivizing people to do things that are in the bandwidth of the public good and you're not causing their mobilization. Look at what's going on in some of these blue states. People are migrating uh, to the uh, to the red states that have no income tax. Oh, mostly corporations, but yes. Keep, no, there's, keep listen, uh, you know, uh, my friend David Tepper, he was $180 million of the New Jersey tax revenues, uh, one person with his hedge fund. Uh, he wanted a tax break from them. They said no. He moved and he moved to Miami. He took the $180 million with him. It's a race to the <laughs> bottom. Yeah, you know, I think, I think don't, here, here's a message I would say to everybody on this uh, podcast don't get misalocked into your point of view. Uh, because what ends up happening is when you're missile locked, you'll make this very same mistakes that I've made. Uh, when you're overly missile locked, you're not seeing it from the other side. You're not seeing the other person's perspective. And that's how we got into the problem that we're in right now. That's why we're so polarized. And that's why we go after each other so hard. Well, I mean, another reason we're polarized is because we have been living under neoliberalism since really hardcore since 1980. And so what that has caused is massive inequality that hasn't existed in a developed nation since uh, the French Revolution, which didn't end great. So <laughs> it's actually not my political beliefs as much as me having lived under it uh, for now, you know, going on 40 years as, a, as being politically aware and watching a country dissolve because all the social safety nets have been removed because people don't want to pay taxes. And it's really simple. Everyone should pay their fair share and billionaires aren't and millionaires aren't. Can I, and can I, like we can see I with well, like we see with Trump, he gets to pay seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes and everybody else, mm, we have to pay tons of taxes. Well, I because we don't I have all because I can't unfair. buy a, a golf course that doesn't make money. Book. I'm gonna recommend a book on the podcast if you guys don't why. It's called American Amnesia. And it's a very <laughs> practical book. It's not necessarily a left-based book or a right-based book. Uh, it's not about left or right policy, but it's about right or wrong policy. And it's okay. it's fairly centrist. And it is making your case, by the way. It is making your case that we disavowed the things that got us to where we are. I am the product of a very good public school system. You can't solve the education crisis in the United States without activating public school teachers and working with their unions to enhance the quality of education for these people. You're not going to get there with charter schools. You're not going to get there with conservative jingoism or Betsy DeVos. Okay. But you can get there. We have the right technology. We have the right skill sets and we have the right capability. And you can convince people that, that it is actually not necessarily a conservative principle or a liberal principle, but one of great practicality. Someone who was a despicable human being, Henry Ford, as an example, he was a racist. He, he, was, he had a picture of Adolf Hitler on his desk, but he was a pretty magnificent social engineer. He said once, and I'll share it with everybody, he said, look, I'm going to pay my workers enough money so that they can buy the car that they are producing. Moreover, they're going to have a single family house and they're going to be tied to a very good school system. This way, all of these blue collar people will feel aspirational and they won't come after me in my mansion with tiki torches and pitchforks. And so well, he also had he also actually hired he actually hired oh, men to beat up union members so that he hired he actually hired men to beat up union members. I mean, his his right hand man was one of the most brutal people in the country at the time. And he was David, known for I didn't just say that he was skulls. perfect. I'm I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> giving him credit. I, I'm giving him credit for an idea. I'm, I'm sure that there was brutality okay. in setting up those unions. 
Um, you know, Roosevelt was against them before he was for them. You will find that everybody has some level of incentives and disincentives, and there is no hero to a man or a woman's valet. You know, if you really study Abraham Lincoln, he was against the abolishment of slavery in the beginning. If you really study him, he wanted to move the African-Americans back to Africa. Okay, so he's not a perfect person. Jefferson wasn't. Washington obviously wasn't. I certainly am not. Maybe the four of you are. But here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you. If we go after each other, if we go after each other, we're not going to solve the problems. And so um, there's great ideas on the left. There are some still good ideas on the right. The stuff that Francesca's uh, uh, suggesting, I don't like at all. And so last thing I would say on this topic, Francesca, if he wins, he is a threat to the core institutions of our democracy. And so if he wins, you have to look at it from that hierarchy. My patriotism and my love of country is at a way higher order of operation than my partisanship. And so what I find so shocking about this whole thing is as this has unfolded, there are many men and women that have decided that they're clutching of personal power and they're clutching to the partisanship nature of this thing is more important than their love of country. And so the good news, though, I'm, I'm, I remain optimistic that there's more people that see it the way we do and want him out than people that see him as somebody that they want to stay with. One last thing before uh, you go. Sarah Huckabee Sanders' book came out and uh, she said yes. while, while we were – she writes, while we're en route to the Jamboree, Mooch announced, I'm proud to report I crossed my ma- a major item off my bucket list today. I assumed he would say something like riding on Air Force One, but instead the Mooch said he just took it, taken a huge shit in the White House. Well, I think I said dump. I don't remember, I don't remember using that word, but I think I could have said dump. Francesca, let me turn it over to you. Do you have any brothers? Uh, yeah, I, I do. What am I supposed to be the voice of being couth on this? I, I, <laughs> no, I, I know what's like couth, women, you know, know, women I mean, take women dumps too. That. Oh yeah. Even women. See, here's the thing about women's buttholes. Women's buttholes are amazing. Don't understand that they don't actually. I, gotta tell you, I was very proud of myself. No, no, so. no. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm just saying your brothers, your Italian brothers probably would identify with me and have empathy for my feeling of having that on my bucket list since I was age 14. But it is, let me just put it, it this way. It was the start of a movement. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it was also the end of a movement as well. That experience for me, as painful as it was, and in, in often oh, as, wait, sorry. As squeezing out the shit, it was, it was very enlightening. No, not the shit. I'm talking about the whole stupid 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> we read that pivot. Shit, was... I mean, if we're going to talk about the shit, the shit was actually fantastic. Okay. I'm still very proud of it. I own it. Uh, and if you have follow-up questions, I'm ready to take those as well. I do. Did you, did you text someone while you were shitting? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I typically don't do that because I'm a little bit of a neat freak that way. I don't really use my phone when I'm on the crapper, but, God, the, but I got to tell you, of you know, sage. after I washed my hands and I was heading for the convoy that was Heading out to Air Force One, I did text my 28-year-old son to let him oh. know of, of the accomplishment. I think he was very proud of me as his father. <laughs> well, Mooch, thanks so much for joining us on Irrational Fear. Do you have anything to plug before we go? Well, no, no. Listen, guys, guys, I've listened to you. It's an irreverent podcast, and uh, I love it. But read that book, Dave Anthony. I think you'll enjoy it. American Amnesia. And you- it talks about it talks about the need for the reestablishment of that social contract that you're talking about. All right, about. I'll look at it. And you read Darkmani if you. 
Ooh. Read the book, Dark Jane Money. Mayer. I, well, I, I, yeah. I, I've read Dark Money. Jane Mayer is a brilliant writer. I think that is her opus. Her and I are very close friends. I've helped her on a lot of her stories. And Dark Money, I think, is her opus. I think that's going to be one of the seminal books of that 40-year period that you're discussing, 1980 yeah. to 2020. And that, and that yeah. book speaks to the need for change. And real conservatives don't like crony capitalism and they don't like all that special interest money corrupting the system. And real conservatives, and remember the father of progressivism was Teddy Roosevelt, who happened to be a Republican, they break up monopolies. Real conservatives recognize that monopoly power is actually predatory, it stifles innovation, and it keeps people down, and it needs to be broken up and revitalized. And real conservatives actually study that stuff, and they don't just take money from special interests and do what they want under the cover of conservatism. All right. Thanks, Mitch. We'll let you go and we'll finish off our show. Well, I mean, we had to leave it on the deuce, though, right? I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> well, no, right? my, my intellectualism, all that gravitas. I was going in the right direction. Francesca was starting to like me. Then you had to bring up the deuce. Jesus Christ. Always end on a joke. <laughs> You're listening to a rational fear. It was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. Say it like it is. That was a shit show. Fran and Dave, so great to have two big power brains on with Nooch. That was fantastic. (laughs) That was fantastic. That was fun. (laughs) Damn, bringing the heat. We were being super fair, too. We had some quips, but he was like... Very like, see, you're you hateful lot. Like he's basically like, <laughs> well, he knows you, he knows his audience, right? He knows his centrist audience really just wants to say that thing where they're like, you guys are mean and you guys are mean. Let's meet in the middle, and it's like, no, dude, those days are gone. There's no more meeting in the middle with any of these people. Like, but he knows that's what the the, the centrists want to hear. That's who he's getting his money. But from. like, show me, like Lincoln Project. If you're gonna retake the Republican Party and actually prove that you aren't pieces of shit just show me more than ads like you're you're talking about the money like do it then do it because i bet you your ass if he if he wins they're gonna go away the lincoln project will go away they'll just be like well guess this is what reality is now doopadoo like they're gonna fucking go away i feel like i feel like lincoln project is not too dissimilar to west wing where it's like it is a it's almost like this schadenfreude-esque liberal fantasy that these people exist and people are buying into it and it's not quite it's not quite for conservatives but it is for liberals to to think that these people are conservative and they're buying into the schadenfreude it's it's a gas it's comedy gaslighting it's the episode of the west (laughs) wing that i don't know if you've got to dave where they um uh get the the eat like the republican um sorry, the conservative judge in and they all think he's going to be the oh. devil and then they're all like, no, he's actually very smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> what's, your, what's that podcast called, Dave? It's called The West Wing Thing. Nice. It's so funny because me and him started out, we like had a long talk and I'm like, well, we can't upset the writers. We just have to play politics with this as far as our writing careers are going. And we started like being like, yeah, he's a good writer, blah, blah, blah. And then like six episodes in, we're like, this guy's a misogynist piece of shit, lazy writer. Like, <laughs> it, just, it just turns and we're just like, fuck this guy. He was better when he was on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about talking about conservatism like that, I've been living under it my whole life. It doesn't exist. So I'm glad you have your little fairyland idea of what conservative is, but it's never been around in my life. So let me know when that kicks in with all of your conservative presidents and your conservative Senate. Let me know when it kicks in. 
idolizing Reagan is just like, Ugh. like his entire, like, you know, we believe in a social safety net, like uh, calling black women welfare queens and accusing <laughs> them of eating steaks every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reaganomics, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, when, when we used to have our press secretary come out and laugh at people dying of AIDS. Ha ha ha. Conservatism. Uh, you know come what? On. Reagan was a fucking monster. Reagan Absolutely. was the exact thing Trump was. Just a little less crass. (laughs) That's exactly right. I remember listening to, Dave, your your podcast on Reagan, listening to the dollop on Reagan. And as an Australian, like, his only real thing for Reagan was like, uh, you know, comedians doing the imitation or like, he used to be an actor or whatever. I was sick. (laughs) Sick. Yeah. It was was nonstop. It was a, a full, like, hour and a half body blow of disgust. Yeah, he he's he's a monster, and Trump is one hundred percent his heir apparent. And the real problem that we have is that liberals have no memory and don't know how to hold a grudge. <laughs> I believe and we call it American amnesia. <laughs> yeah, but learn can, can how you to hold us? a grudge. This is what I'm saying, though. Like, I I was just thinking about that today. Like, the Bush years, eight years, two wars, two plus wars, like. All I, I we absolutely should have gone after him for war crimes. But like after eight years of Bush, after four years of Trump, how much more do you want to think about these people? Like it, but, it I feel you. And the easiest way to erase that to, is to, the easiest way to erase that is to paint some terrible paintings and go on Ellen and talk about your <laughs> fucking paintings. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. let's forget about the war crimes. You've got pastels yeah. that are awful. I mean, you really have to. You have to prosecute the bankers. You have to prosecute the George Bushes of the world. And you have to suffer through that because if you don't, well, you get oh, Trump's because now yeah. there is no rule of law. And when you say Trump is breaking the law, all those people go, what about the fucking bankers you didn't do anything about? Absolutely. What about the war you didn't do anything about? So, it, you know, what's your argument? Where's your moral sort of ground? I'm just saying I don't want to think about him anymore, but yeah. you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Look, on that note, you know, I, we did have two other stories to get to, but, you know, we're already gone over time, so why even bother? <laughs> That's it for Irrational Fear. Big thanks to our fear mongers this week, the Mooch, Francesca Fiorentini, Dave Anthony and Lewis Hobber. Do you guys have anything to plug, Francesca? Uh, just follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Franny Fio and watch The Bituation Room uh, every Sunday night. The Bituation Room is just like Irrational Fear, but it's got much better graphics. It's really good. It's excellent. Oh, that's that's not hard. Um, <laughs> and Dave, do you want to plug anything? Uh, my podcast, The Dollop, I have a second podcast, uh, The West Wing Thing, which I do with uh, Oscar-nominated writer Josh Olson, in which we discuss how the West Wing uh, melted all of these brains of uh, people who are liberals and are now in charge of our country, and they don't know what to do because they think that's how politics works. And it doesn't work that way. <laughs> who are you talking about specifically there, Dave? I would say Pelosi, Schumer. I would say Obama's entire administration was a huge uh, victim of West Wing brain. There's a lot. I would say most of the Democrats that are in charge. Saying the pod save people. He just means pod save people. Absolutely. Pod save guys are some of the worst. And their books actually describe how they, you know, would have parties and talk about which one was Toby and which one was Josh. Like they're, they're, they're all playing, uh, they're doing cosplay for West Wing as opposed to actually governing. And they're getting their asses kicked because of it. And we're all suffering because of it. I saw a great tweet from Australian notorious tweeter Dan Nolan who said, well, at least the crooked media guys gave Biden five stars for this debate. <laughs> <laughs> 
thought that was just like that was like the most uh, that was very erudite from uh, from Dan Nolan. Lewis, you got anything to plug, buddy? No, Dan. Same old. <laughs> big thanks to the Bertha Foundation, Road Mics, and our Patreon subscribers. And big thanks to Dave Bluestein for writing support on this episode and our producer, Jacob Round, on the Teppanyaki timeline. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Goodbye. Goodbye.